Welcome back to the Courtside Podcast, and the only thing I can really tell you right now is, wow. Brad Stevens of the Boston Celtics woke up everyone at the buzzer to get this Porzingis deal done, which he did with a three-team deal, which we'll go into later on in this podcast, as well as that of the Bradley Beal, and of course, what that really does for the Phoenix Suns in that trade right before the NBA draft, which is technically today, uh, being June the 22nd. And it's, uh, I'm recording actually at 1.55 a.m. So hard to, I mean, again, you can't blame me though. Hard to sleep when a franchising defining type of trade just happened tonight, which we'll go into details right away after these messages on Courtside. This episode of the Courtside Podcast is brought to you by YouTube channels Hiram Temptation and Captain Barbo, who make content on YouTube weekly. If you have any free time, let's say, you know, you're going out for lunch, or maybe even a coffee break. And you have food in front of you, but you don't really know what to watch with that food. I don't know if it's just you. It's definitely me, though. I honestly need a TV, an iPhone, a computer, whatever. Even a Samsung, if you're really that desperate. I need something to watch while I eat. Well, on your 30-minute lunch break, why not watch one of the videos of Hyrule Temptation and Captain Barbo? Captain Barbo, if you're huge into Dark Souls games, he has funny videos, growing channel, over 5,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel, and it keeps on growing with more content. Highway Temptation, if you're a huge Sonic fan, they just did Sonic Crusaders not too long ago. And they did a full review. And of course, hilarious. It's almost like that homegrown feature. It's good friends having a good time. So don't forget to subscribe to both of those channels. And of course, follow this podcast. So just to even get into this three-team deal, we have to first start from the beginning. That being of that yesterday, the 21st of this month, where it was reported that this was just about bound to be closed down of the three-team deal, not including the Grizzlies. However, originally with the Clippers being involved, that's right, the Washington Wizards with Christoph Porzingis were trying to send them off over to that of the Boston Celtics. And the Celtics, in return, were sending off a few picks, but majority of the work was really Malcolm Brogdon, the sixth man of the year last season, being sent potentially to Los Angeles. And just give you more details specifically about that deal that originally concepted into the early afternoon of yesterday. We're talking about a deal that would have sent Porzingis to Boston, Malcolm to the Clippers in Los Angeles, sending Marquise Morris, my apologies, Marcus Morris, Amir Coffey, and a 30th pick to Washington. However, late into the night, I want to say around 9 o'clock, I believe actually around 10, 10.30 or so, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported that the deal itself and talks ended up falling through and was really not, it wasn't look like it was going to happen at all. It looked like it was a total flop. There was people saying that Brad Stevens could get the job done. But according to reports itself, it was neither that of the Wizards nor the Celtics, but more or less the Clippers side of things. Apparently, they were really hesitant, according to reports, of picking up Malcolm Brogdon, knowing that he has recent injury-prone uh, in his career, which, you know, as we all know, he had an injured, I believe, upper body. I don't know which arm it was or whatnot, uh, but he was injured during the Eastern Conference Finals, which did affect his play. Um, but either way, due to those injuries concerns, the Clippers backed off, and the three-team deal for that one originally was cut off. However, Brad Stevens the Wizards were still aggressively looking to get this job done. However, that also means you got to find another team, you got to make sure you also, you know, accommodate for that other team. And you got to figure out just exactly, I mean, how to get this done within time before the draft. And as well, 
Christoph Porzingis, who is looking to opt into his team option of that, I believe, a $36 million for next year, which again, crazy hit for whichever team got that at the time. The Celtics were able to get the job done. The Wizards as well. But it came with its own franchise-altering type of memos. And for the Wizards, as we all know, and again, we'll go into this after the uh, we talk about this three-team deal. That, of course, I mean of the Bradley Beal. We'll go after the Porzingis one. But the Washington Wizards are in rebuild mode. Franchise-defining rebuild mode. No more Bradley Beal. No more Christoph Porzingis. You don't got any big all-star names anymore. No jersey sales are coming through. And Kyle Kuzma, who even knows how long he'll be staying there. So you got these guys moving on. So the Wizards, they're they're just in this position where they're just handing out guys for free. Similar to what they did with the Bradley Beal move. However, this was not that case. And one of the reasons I believe this was not that case is because the Memphis Grizzlies were involved and they got rid of a point guard that they believed, and I believe from what I've seen from the NBA Twitter circles, a lot of Grizzly fans believed would have been a perfect asset to keep if John Morant was not going to be around for long. However, they were able to replace that immediately based on this trade. The full details. The Celtics received Christoph Porzingis, as well as the number 23rd pick in this year's NBA draft, which is going to be today, uh, June 22nd, and next year's first-round pick of the NBA draft for 2024 from the Memphis Grizzlies. The Wizards will receive Tyrese Jones. And Tyrese Jones was that point guard, which I mentioned before, that a lot of people had a lot of faith in in the Memphis circles to potentially become this new big, not going to say franchise player, but maybe a cornerstone player for their franchise where he really helps out in his role. But that's what the Grizzlies were looking to replace, and they did. The Boston Celtics, and a lot of people are saying this is going to be more or less of a sacrifice. But the Boston Celtics in the deal sent Marcus Smart, a player that's been there for nine plus years, has not missed the NBA playoffs at all during his tenure with the Celtics, and has been in multiple top five, top three in three-point shooting, steals, and other accolades that you can think of as a Celtic to be honored. Marcus Smart, this is a franchise-defining moment, not only for the Wizards, which I mentioned before, but that as well the Boston Celtics, who are still in contention, and they needed that big man. They needed that consistent guy that can help shoot, spread the floor. Al Horford's only going to get older. They figure out a way to get that done. However, at what cost? Marcus Smart, which has been told by many players before, greatest teammate, IQ very high, hustle player, defensive player of the year, And the crazy thing about it, throughout his entire career, he's only averaged 10 points as a Celtic throughout his entire career. But as we all know, definitely not a 10-point type of player. Now, again, we also do have to look at this is that of a deal that also does include meaning that other players such as Gallinari as well as Mike Muscala, who also was a part of this deal going to Washington, um... You know, of course, you have to be able to make up for Christoph Porzingis' ridiculous contract, which he's on. And currently, uh, again, he's expected to opt in. I'm pretty sure he will. And, of course, I think that's probably one of the deal breakers from this deal itself. Um, However, it's going to be a lot of money coming their way to Boston. And now the Boston Celtics, who have this roster where you have Derek White now as the formidable point guard. I don't think there's going to be a question about who's going to be the point guard next year. For the Boston Celtics, unless something crazier happens in free agency, 
But you look at Derek White, then follow that by Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum at the four. You put in Porzingis in there in the front court with Robert Williams the third. And off the bench, you'll have Al Horford there, who is still on contract. But also, who else really? I mean, still in the year, Payne Pritchard coming back. I mean, of course, you're going to have Malcolm Brogdon, sixth man of the year. So that's, of course, a good thing to have offensively. But also, what, Mike Hauser? This team itself, and as well, I'm not even mentioned Grant Williams, who has been in conversations right now that potentially going to the Dallas Mavericks out of all teams. But this Celtic team, without Marcus Smart, you really open your eye and say, this isn't a defensive team anymore. I mean, this is a heavily offensive team. Brad team has definitely pushed itself to you know, more consistency. And this is a GM, which I believe that Brad Stevens has been the most safest guy. I mean, he's not really going out there making crazy deals, but he's still adding on. Like the Derek White move was a really smart and safe move to do. Jason Richardson and whatnot, uh, getting that done for Derek White in San Antonio from the year previously in the trade deadline. And also the move to go get Al Horford back out of nowhere from OKC. And overall, he's a safe GM. Total opposite from the previous GM for the Boston Celtics, Danny Ainge, who would literally sell, and I believe this was on record. I might have been the Bill Simmons podcast that said this, but would even trade his own mother if he had the chance, right? So this was probably the biggest move I've seen Brad Stevens take in, in any stance. I don't even think there'll be another bigger move unless there was like a Jalen Brown move that would change the tide of the NBA probably. But... This is definitely something that is franchise-defining. And for the Boston Celtics, does it improve the roster? Absolutely. Uh, and especially the trade itself. you got two first-rounders and Christoph Porzingis, which you look at the numbers, has been improving throughout his entire career, especially up to this point. When you look at the numbers, as a Nick, he averaged 17.8 points per game, 7 rebounds, and 2 blocks per game. Uh, now as a Wizard, well, former Wizard, uh, mind you, his time as a Wizard, 22.9 points per game, 8.5 rebounds, and 1.5 blocks per game. So he's been improving steadily and gradually has become one of the better offensive players in the Eastern Conference at as a, you know, that being a, as a big man, I have to say, not the best overall, but as a big man, he has a really wide bag, perimeter shooting, of course, gives you a little bit of mid range, can take you inside, and the lengthy and athleticism of his length at 7 foot. I believe seven foot two, seven foot three, whatnot, what it is. I mean, that matchup with Robert Williams III, it's a scary idea. You got guys who are going to be dominant in the post. You have perimeter threats, you know, spread it across, which I think was missing for the Celtics team inside, at least for big men, when Al Horford was missing a lot of shots throughout these NBA playoffs. It's going to be, again, this is going to be a Celtic team that is still going to be in contention. I feel like they still are in contention. But... And this is more or less just of a spill, um, that being from the Celtic fan viewpoint. Marcus Smart has been with his franchise in the rebuild process, has gone through all these changes, different Eastern Conference Finals battles, made it to the NBA Finals for the first time since 2010 in 2022, fought with his team, was best teammate under that of Isaiah Thomas, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. I mean, you, you can name the guys. And Marcus was able to be there and was present as a Celtic. He defined Celtic basketball, whether that be for intensity, defense, 
And you can say whatever you want, really. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe there were some plays, and especially in crunch time, where he would take the shot himself. Maybe there was some moments where he was just looking like a Harlem Globetrotter, passing the ball behind his back or doing some crazy thin-the-needle type of thing, Hall of Fame, and it wasn't going to make its way either way. When you look at Marcus Smart, he was a difference maker of that Celtic team and of a lot of games and series in the playoffs that were important. Marcus Smart himself, it's not an all-star guard, but it's a franchise guard that the Celtics are losing with this Marcus Smart trade that sends him to the Grizzlies. And even the craziest thing about all this, the Grizzlies side of things. Because they get like Tyrese Jones and, you know, losing out on him. And, you know, the idea that from a lot of Grizzly fans, what I'm seeing from NBA Twitter, that they really wanted him to stay. And knowing that they have Marcus Smart is like, oh, but we get this good replacement, veteran guy, can definitely change that locker room without Dylan Brooks there, can play shooting guard, whatnot. I don't know how Marcus is going to feel in Memphis. To be absolutely honest, John Morant not going to be there for a majority, if not the entire first half of the NBA season next year. What is Memphis going to do? I mean, they had Defensive Player of the Year in Jaron Jackson Jr., yeah. Desmond Bain, yeah. Steven Adams, yeah. That's a pretty okay starting five. But are they going to make it through the Western Conference? Marcus Smart just went from a team that was bound to make another finals appearance, if not be, you know, a Final Four team like in years he's basically been in five of the last seven years of his NBA career. Now it changes. New city and, of course, new atmosphere in a new conference. He has to go against the Lakers multiple times. He has to go against teams like Phoenix multiple times. And I'm pretty sure he's not going to be able to get past the first round. I mean, does he come back to Boston later in his career? I think so. I don't think why not. I mean, Al Horford literally did a tenure with Philadelphia got the bag he needed, then ended up sitting out an entire year at OKC and found himself back to the NBA Finals with the Boston Celtics. So it's possible. But for now, the Celtics window is closing soon, and they just made a deal that could put them over the hump or really shatter the franchise itself. But looking past that now, let's go into the other DC trade, the Bradley Beal one. And this was a trade that a lot of people anticipated for many, many, many years. Of course, when I say anticipate, I'm not meant for Phoenix to get involved. But we're definitely anticipating Bradley Beal to be asked for a trade, to leave the franchise. And there was a lot of questions about, like for me personally, if you're going to take a five-year deal worth north of $200 million, I'm not expecting you to go out softly into another team if you are going to ask for a trade because that's a lot of money that someone's going to add it they got to eat up the last team i thought it was going to be to eat that contract up was that of the phoenix suns the phoenix suns who already have devin booker who has a north of a 200 million dollar salary kevin durant who has north of 150 million dollar salary have figured out a way to now add on even more to that with the bradley beal trade that they made about two days ago And this was, again, NBA-defining because the Phoenix Suns, who were exits in the second round against the Denver Nuggets, were probably the the most even matchup, I'll have to say, against Denver this season, throughout the postseason. But either way, still contenders, and they're looking to repeat, at least with a little more firepower, coming up next year. The deals itself for the Phoenix Suns and the Washington Wizards 
The Suns receiving Bradley Beal, Jordan Goodwin, and Isaiah Todd, while the Wizards received Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, multiple second round picks, and multiple pick swaps as well. Um, you know, for this deal itself, crazy no first round picks. I think the second picks, you know, maybe that does do well later down the run with the Wizards. Maybe they're asking a little bit too much, and that was kind of a deal breaker for the Suns to move on Bradley Beal, who honestly was looking for either Phoenix or Miami. But from what I heard from reports out of the two, they chose more or less for that of the Suns because Bradley Beal wanted more for the Wizards, not only for himself, but as well more for his franchise that was drafted him and, of course, bred him through this all-star level and into what he is today in the NBA and I guess the Miami Heat didn't have a lot of tools to really offer that of Washington because they didn't really want to give up on Tyler Hero. Pat Riley said after the season ended in his press conferences that basically he is like an anchor for the Miami Heat's future. That of Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, and Jimmy Butler. So that basically killed the deal entirely and left the Suns all alone for Bradley Beal to kind of decide how do we get there. And they did. But was it worth it though? You're talking about now a team, that of the Phoenix Suns, who are still potentially looking to get rid of DeAndre Aiden and are still always in trade conversation with that of DeAndre Aiden, who only have five players who have contracts going past that of 2023-2024 season. Yes, five players. A team that basically has no bench at all, unless they really want to go out of their way and re-sign everybody, all the way down from Terrence Ross over to TJ Warren, apparently. But when I'm looking at the numbers right now, and as I mentioned before, we're talking about contracts that of Devin Booker, which is north of $200 million, as well as Bradley Beal, north of $200 million, and Kevin Durant, only $3 million away from that of $200 million. Um, but still, a huge chunk of those players being that of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden, and as well as that of Cameron Payne, and now Bradley Beal. Those are really the only players that are guaranteed contracts past this season. Or at least into next season. As crazy as that sounds. So it's a team that barely has enough money to even pay off its starting five. And you're going to have a bunch of bench guys who are going to probably take veteran minimums and might not even see the floor at all. Now, the way I describe this team and what I'm expecting out of them next season... I'm expecting the Cleveland Cavaliers of the West. And what I specifically mean by that, I mean a team that's going to have four guys. Four guys are going to be basically that of the franchise players who are just going to be working 35 to 40 or more minutes a night on the floor during the entire season. And by playoff time, they're going to be gassed. They're going to go into a really physical franchise and they're not going to be able to make it out of a series. And I would probably even make it out of the second round. Similar to that of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who had to face against a New York Knicks team in the first round. Everyone thought it was going to be an even matchup because of Donovan Mitchell, Mobley, and just the overall talent of the Cavs starting five. And what did it result in? It resulted in four players running around for about 40 or more minutes, and the bench had nothing to do with the entire series. While the New York Knicks, more aggressively, had a better death when you really think about it, uh, they just were able to win that one in five games, and it didn't look too much close to any of the games in New York. And that's what I'm expecting on the Phoenix side of things. You got four players by that time. Who knows how healthy Kevin Durant's going to look like? Bradley Beal, 
who has multiple injuries in the past two to three years, who knows what he's going to look like when what they're even going to ax him over there in Phoenix. And Devin Booker, you know, he's most likely going to pop up compared to any of the players that are going to be on that roster. And DeAndre Aiden, we don't even know what DeAndre Aiden's future is with the Phoenix Suns. I mean, who knows? Even by the trade deadline of the next year, he could be gone. So with the Phoenix Suns themselves, is there going to be help coming from the bench against the Western Conference where you have just about at least an all-star per team? And if you really think about it, I mean, Shai Gildas Alexander, OKC. New Orleans Pelicans got Brandon Ingram and maybe Zion Williamson if we'll make that argument if he does come back. Damian Lillard, Portland Trailblazers, LeBron Anthony Davis, that of the Lakers, Kawhi and Paul George, Clippers, Denver Nuggets, they got Jokic and Jamal Murray, John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies, and now, I mean, but I would probably say Marcus Smart. Either way, you go down the line, every single team in the Western Conference, at least the top 10 teams, got an all-star, if not an all-star caliber player on their roster. And that comes with a bench as well. Denver's bench is loaded. The Lakers bench is loaded. The Kings bench, it's fairly loaded. If you're the Phoenix Suns and you're going to try to contend for a championship with no bench, just four guys, and whoever it is going to be that point guard that they find, trying to figure it out all together, it's it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. It didn't work in Dallas. It didn't work out in any bit of scenarios when the Brooklyn Nets were trying to do something with Goran Dragic on their roster with that still big three, where they ended up losing out in the first round in 2022. It doesn't happen for teams with no bench, and especially in recent years. You need death on your team. You need to get just a deep bench. It's 13 guys for a roster. Even if it's an eight-man rotation, the eighth and seventh man are not going to always be active. You got to go deep into your bag. You got to find guys. And that's the thing about this Phoenix and Wizards trade where you get rid of Shamit as well as Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul, the crazy thing about it, before Chris Paul, Phoenix has never been to the NBA playoffs in, multiple, in almost a decade, I want to say. You know, that of before that, Steve Nash and Mark Stoudemire, they go to the playoffs with Chris Paul. They make it to the NBA Finals for the first time in God knows how long. And they end up leaving him to dry. Talent-wise, I understand it. He's getting older. He's not really going to be there for, you know, deep postseason play. From what we've seen, his legs just get exhausted at that point. So maybe they go out and find a younger guy. Maybe the draft could be a little bit different. We just don't know. But what I do know from this trade is that the Wizards themselves, they do set them up well for the future. Now, it's not OKC, multiple first-round picks, type of future, but the Wizards, they're definitely in good places right now. And we'll be talking more about that in our next episode after the NBA draft later on, that being of tonight. Uh, Again, doing this really early in the morning on the 22nd of June. But later on tonight, we'll be doing the NBA Draft Podcast, and unfortunately wasn't able to get around to do a uh, kind of a draft board. I want to do the top 10, but just too much things going on, especially with these trades. I mean, these are just NBA-defining trades for a lot of these franchises. So, again, if you made it this far into the episode, thank you again for listening, and of course, thank you for following the podcast. Good night.